I'm Doug Jones, and you have discovered Beyond Trek Podcast. Red alert. I need a turtleneck like the one you've got, Wani. Do you think mm -hmm. sheer would look good on me? I mean, it, yours looks a little bright or just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, th I, I think mean, I could. It's I winter. could rock it. I'm I sure could rock, rock it. it. You think you think I could? Oh, yeah. I, for, yeah, for, I'll send you the sure. link. Oh, okay. Check yeah, it send, out. Me, send me the link for that. I might have to, uh, to check that out. And mm -hmm. Renzo, what's that sh shirt? The Captain Proton? Why does that sound familiar? But it's from Voyager. It's the thing uh, that, that is from Voyager. Okay. The thing that oh. uh, Paris was obsessed with. Yes. I was thinking about, uh, wasn't there this TV show called Captain Photon or something like that? Remember Photon, the game you ran around in the shooting people with your, your light gun? Yeah. Like what's, what's it a play on? It's like just a Flash play Gordon. on like Flash Gordon. Yeah. Like yep. original science fiction. Yeah. 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 Dags I mean, muted as you Dags can. muted. That's our, that's our tradition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> much better. Yeah. That's our new, uh, theme song speaking of which welcome to beyond track podcast we're so glad you're here with us today i'm watney i'm big j Renzo. and i'm dag and today is november 21st 2020 we are gonna go over discovery episode six scavengers so if you haven't seen it yet here's your spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert spoiler alert uh it's too late to turn back now you're in this for the long run uh, locked and loaded <laughs> That's a great line. I love that line. That's from Insurrection. Um, and uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Alexander Sadig. It is his birthday today. Ooh, happy birthday. If you're just listening and you're not sure who that is, uh, that is uh, Dr. Julian Bashir from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Now, you probably say his full name, though, since it is his birthday. Just, I was just, just thinking that. Yeah, go, go ahead. And I, I believe there's the red carpet. Yes. Treatment. The full name, his full name is like a sentence long. Oh, it's long. It's well, long. It's, oh my, I don't want to do the full name though. Well, uh, he just might to, have legally changed it because everybody's been calling him Alexander he did, for the last he did. 20 years. For the first right. couple scenes, for yeah, the first couple scenes of DS9, he went by um, Siddig El Fadil. Oh, really? Right. Yes. He's, yes. Well, he's, he's Sudanese born. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was he was initially, as Jay said, credited as Sadig El Fadil, but his full name is I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry. Sadig uh, El Tahir El Fadil El Sadig Abdurrahman Mohammed Ahmed Abdel Karim El Mahdi. Excellent. We well did it, did it think, justice, I believe. I think it was just lazy for yeah. them to not put that entire thing on the title card during right? the credits of DS9. Like, come on. You're getting paid it's, to do this. It's such an epic name. <laughs> it, it, it truly is. It truly yeah, but I get stage names, you know, Watney. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't recall. No, that's my real name, listeners, by the way. Right. My real name. Some, <laughs> other fans, some other fans might uh, more appreciate his more recent stuff. Uh, he was uh, Doran Martell in Game of Thrones. Um, he also was in Reign of Fire, which is a really cool movie that I liked back in like 2000 with uh, Mr. All right, all right, all right himself, Matthew McConaughey. You know, I feel like once you've been on track, that's it. You've been on track. You've made pretty it pretty much. You've made it. 
go ahead and just do whatever other fun shit you want to do because you've been on Star Trek. So, <laughs> well, well the only connection, the only connection this episode has to Deep Space Nine is the mention of uh, self-sealing stem bolts. So, yeah. let's, let's <laughs> yeah, let's uh, get into it. So, this is like we said, season three, episode six, Scavengers of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, scene one, we open up on a starbase with. Um, Saru going over like all of the cool updates that uh, Discovery has gotten now that they've jumped ahead. So they basically like reworked all of the tech in the bridge, in engineering, pretty much over the whole ship. They've detached the nacelles, which is like I want to see glowing to me. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's because I'm a I'm a 21st century peasant, but <laughs> like <laughs> um, I just am like, how does that work? I don't know. <laughs> well, they even told us why they did it. They did it for for extra maneuverability, and it looks like it was yep. done with programmable matter, so they can mm-hmm. probably be reintegrated, kind of like on the fly. Yeah. But uh, why even do so? Yeah. One if you the... do, if you like need to, oh, we don't need maneuverability. Let's attach the nacelles and fucking get out of here or something. You know, like mm-hmm. it could be like something like that. One of the really cool speculations that I've seen on Daystrom Institute is. Um, that due to the burn and the desire to never have that happen again, as decimating as it was, they actually moved the warp cores into the nacelles so that if the dilithium ever became unstable like that again, it would just take out a nacelle and not the entire ship. Well, but isn't the blast radius of the uh, matter-antimatter interaction still going, excuse me, still going to get them? Those nacelles aren't far enough to where if that kind of reaction happens that they're going to be Okay, that's a pretty big radius, especially when you have two happening on each side. Well, okay, we know that blasts can be contained, uh, like in season two of Discovery, where Pike and the, oh my God, what's her name? The woman Admiral. Admiral. Yeah, Cornwell. Yeah, so like they had a, what was it? A Was it a quantum torpedo? No, just stuck, torpedo, torpedo. Just torpedo. a torpedo, just mm-hmm. stuck in the hull, mm-hmm. going to detonate. Yep. And Pike just closed a fucking door <laughs> and the thing exploded and it was fine. Like so as, as long as there's a door on the nacelle that's closed, yes, we're going to be fine. That's what I'm saying. Just make a whole nacelle of doors <laughs> and then put the warp core in that. And then we should be good. And we you, can should, just, you can go ahead and hire me ship designers. I just want to recommend that we make the doors out of the same material. We make the black boxes out of. Right. Right. That I just want to remind f- you guys, the black box that we saw this episode was not the first one that we've seen. We actually saw one in episode three as well. That was the mm-hmm. thing that was being handed to Burnham in that like opening montage of like mm-hmm. Burnham's year abroad or whatever. So okay. we have seen them now a couple times. That's what she was negotiating for before yeah. she found. Okay, that's really a great nugget thank you because i was like oh this is coming out of nowhere but it's really not i'm just not paying close enough attention which is really <laughs> how it works so um saru is in the kind of like command center with the other captains vance says like hey welcome let's now let's get to business um riling seven needs shields yeah we'll go give him some shade uh, they basically are conducting an administrative meeting where they're saying hey here's all these planets that have issues and they're going to send all these ships out to go take care of these problems. And these are like problems that can wait, you know, they're not uh, urgent issues, but Saru seems to think, well, we'll just go do it all in one day. <laughs> uh, but that's not like the, how it's going to work. And Vance knows that they need to be there 
So mm-hmm. there's like a serious issue that could happen on Argeth, which is on yellow alert. Uh, the Emerald Chain's making moves there or something like that. We know the Emerald Chain is, uh, is it, it's Orion's and Andorian's? That's correct. Yeah, it's Orion's and Andorian like crime syndicate, basically. Yeah. Uh, like, I like I would the meaning. It's another version of the Orion syndicate. Yes. Yeah, so, so, sorry to interrupt you there, Wani. I, no, I like this this uh, morning huddle that they had, the, the meeting of, of captains, because <laughs> in all of Star Trek, I always wondered, what is that process behind the scenes for getting that mission? I mean, is it, you know, in, in TNG, is Picard just picking stuff to go do? Is there like a news bulletin? Are there assignments that are coming from Starfleet Command? What are they, like just that organizational part? Of, yeah, what is what is what is this in the A to B and all that? Um, so that was that was good that they kind of had their list of here's what needs to be done today, and here's who needs to do what, and that's how it happened. Just minor little thing I thought was. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think it's pretty cool to see it in action, right? But I don't think this is how it would have worked in Picard's day, Cisco's day, Jane like Janeway is a captain in the UFP's day. Like they would have received orders from an admiralty with like 30 tiers of bureaucracy and everything would have been vetted and pre-checked and planned. Mm-hmm. This was just like, these are the seven ships that we have. So these are the seven tasks we can do today. Let's prioritize seven and send people out. Yeah. Yes. And like they, you can talk through subspace and warp in the past. Can't do that now. So everyone needs to be together to get these orders. It's like a lot more primitive than I think even in the previous timeline, because you have to get everyone physically together. I mean, sure, you can like communicate like locally, but you can't send like a message to Picard like about, oh, there's Borg Cube coming like way far away. And then they can't get there like that. It's not the same Mm -hmm. thing anymore. So they all have to be like kind of together. Well, the nice thing is I am. I'm so grateful for the three of you being here deconstructing this scene because I've been so like, I don't know, like wiped out by, by work. I just, I saw this as like, Oh, it's a morning standup. Okay. And I just sort of tuned out. Yes. I was just like, Um, "Eh." so uh, also if you're listening to us on anchor.fm or Spotify, however you listen to us, you can watch us. We have a YouTube. So check us out there because we have screenshots from the episode that we look through and it's a lot more visual you can watch some of us are in uniform yes have appropriate shirts (laughs) no so the one thing is always an appropriate shirt (laughs) i just wanted to say i thought it was really neat that they showed a captain of a different alien or a different race than just a human yes but it was only the one everybody else seemed Um, the exception (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna actually here go Uh, ahead I don't know if the, if this particular vendor has a screenshot of it, um, but there is a person standing next to Saru in the opening scene. If you're checking it out, oh, there here, she is. You're right. Yeah. Uh, the person next to Saru is Cardassian. We have a Cardassian <gasps> is that captain. What, that is? what the fuck? Yes. Love it. Yep. Okay. Cool. I didn't catch that the first time. And and also there's there's another one. Um, so two people to the right of Saru is another it's alien. It's a Saurian. Um, one, two, three, and four, then, and four people from the right of him around. There's yeah, a, a so, big head guy. So I'll just, one? I'll just, if you guys can see my cursor right here, we've got an Osnulan. We also have another Osnulan on Discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, this person here looks like looks like Linus. So I'm going to say this person is Saurian. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we've got our Cardassian. And then behind this guy over here on the left, we see these three little wings sticking out. We've seen this race twice before in Discovery in the 32nd century. One uh, on the planet where Burnham is bargaining for the black box and another time in the sick bay in, I think, the last episode? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you're this, right. We've seen this species before. They don't have a name yet. Interesting then that they, since in the scene when they're the captains just chit-chatting to each other or being assigned missions, they didn't focus on any of the alien captains other than the Osnulan. Well, that might have just been what made it on screen. Sure. Oh, that's fair. And it might it, you can just write it off as being like those are the ships that had missions today, right? Like they might get something tomorrow. Right. Cool. I'm and, glad that and you caught this though. It's it's cool, you know. We're like, hey, we need you to sit in this in this chair for six hours while we apply Cardassian makeup, and you're going to be on screen for about three seconds. That, that's how it is. Those are the breaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it worked out for Doug Jones, so. That guy. Surely they have some kind of overlap overlay or something that they put on him. That's not all just makeup, you know, like it is technically makeup, but Mm -hmm. surely it's like some kind of mask or something that they then like seamlessly blend in. Like they're, that's a lot of makeup all the time. They're the, they're thick pieces of paneling that get glued. And then they put they put like a mesh in between them so that they can move without really exposing parts of his face. And then there's digital touch up. Okay, cool. Why oh, didn't they do digital touch up for him too? That's cool. I guess that makes sense. Just a little bit. Saru I mean, is like totally like normal looking to me now. I don't know. <laughs> I just yeah, have seen him I, so much. It's like yeah, yeah you're an alien. <laughs> when it's I surreal. see Doug, <laughs> when I see Doug Jones' face, I'm like, there's something not quite right about this. <laughs> you have you have your nostrils are too close together um all right doug we love you let's uh let's keep going so we learned that osira and the chain are getting heated in the area of argeth so argeth's on yellow alert discovery needs to be on call in case shit goes down and so the discovery gets to stay even though they can do all the shit in like a little bit of time mm-hmm. well here's where it matters that discovery got upgrades because sending a ship from 900 years ago to fight in into combat with modern ships seems like a really dumb yes. idea so they got Period. the upgrades they are, yeah. they're a little bit more up to date and now they can maybe hold their own let's let's take a second to spotlight some of those upgrades if we can okay for um, sure yeah uh, I, i'll just bullet point them really we've got the detached nacelles Uh, Some of the support struts from the saucer, the inner saucer section and the outer saucer section have been removed. So it's just the one main uh, Mm -hmm. structure from the back. Um, Discovery is now the 1031A, which makes sense if you've taken into account the idea that Discovery was reported destroyed. The name may have been decommissioned. And in order to recommission the name, they had to iterate it. So Discovery Mm -hmm. gets an A. It also... It also helps to disguise its temporal origins uh, so that existing is not a crime so, in so far as we, we think about it now. Okay. All right. um, Renzo, the image that you have behind you, she's perfect for Tron. She's got oh, that I love it. outlay. Um, the, the deflector dish is now a hexagon instead of a, a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the nacelles got the nice little like racing stripes going on there. Um, and then, of course, as as Watney and Renzo were saying about 
company about the upgrades being necessary. She's probably got better Pfizer's quantum torpedoes. If, if, if we have better than quantum, that would be great. But the last time we were on Earth, we they were firing quantum torpedoes at us. So yes. Um, and I feel like the Azteking has even got an update here. Um, if you're not familiar with the term Azteking, it's just the the Starfleet issue texturization of each of the ships, the the sort of repetitive dark light color. Yeah, exactly the, the whole pattern. So um they yeah, upgrades are real nice. She I, looks I, I so like, good. Yeah, they, they modernized uh, Discovery really well. Samich doesn't like it though. They moved something, and the aesthetics are just off for him now. So you can get over it, special, special yeah. boy Stamets, please. Like it looks so good <laughs> now. And yeah, like Renzo made a great point that we saw them being woefully out, out, like gunned. Mm -hmm. uh, on, the earth, on the earth earth episode <clears throat> and so which if i was like wanting to rebuild the federation the first thing i'd do is like go to earth and be like hey <laughs> guys you guys want back in you want back in and then we like put our station there <laughs> like we always had and the precision right. is still there um anyway so yeah they uh great point about the weapons like they can't really go and hold their own anywhere without updated weapons and more more teeth so mm -hmm. uh really cool that we got the upgrades and once again discovery is op so still waiting on that history lesson <laughs> I need my 930 years of history. Thank you. Right. Yeah. I think we'll get little bits here and there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just fill in the timeline for sure. Yep. So uh, the crew also gets upgrades. We switch over to discovery and it's commander Willa. Is that how you say it? Yep. L Lieutenant Willa. Lieutenant Willa, um, who is the chief of security on the star base. Um, mm -hmm is going through the crew and kind of training them, I would say, on their new upgrades, their badges. Uh, so the the badges now are um, hollow pads, communicators, tricorders, and personal transporters. All in one. It's great. All in they... one. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Yes. I'd like three, please. Uh, right, yes. right. And Why then, doesn't everyone just keep an extra one on them in case we have to like get out of like a sticky, sticky situation, just like at, on the planet later? That's that was my thought. It's like you, you don't have to beam someone up; they can just literally everyone can teleport now. I <laughs> love you. In, that that begs the question: How do you just inform the teleporter where you wish to go? Like, well, I think just, Linus is having trouble with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's that's hilarious that happened because when they're going through all this and seeing the reactions of the crew to all these new toys, it's just they are in awe about this stuff. And when we talked about that, they were also they also worked as personal transporters. I started thinking, OK, well, that's going to be kind of kind of odd, because what if you start popping up in the, in the wrong places or whatever? And it's great that they did exactly what everyone's thinking and, and uh, Linus he he just pops into the bridge suddenly. <laughs> oh, this in the captain's the, chair, right? This isn't the cafeteria. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Detmer's struggling a bit, and honestly, like it's, I I, I get that they upgraded the ship, but mm. they're not giving them any time to like relearn all of these critical systems that they went through Starfleet Academy to be like 
bridge officers for. Yes. Um, and it's like completely new. It's basically space mat. It's magic now because the technology is so advanced that it looks like magic. Yeah. Um, to be fair though, they did point out though that the UIs, you don't have to adjust to anything. It's been designed to look like your old stuff and it'll adjust to you. So it's smart enough that it learns how you like to find things. And, you know, they, they put work into making it accommodations for like mm-hmm. people displaced from 900 years yeah. ago. Imagine looks unimpressed. To... <laughs> I, I, I get I totally get it. And with the spheres help, the sphere knows the crew. It's cares about the crew. So it's probably like helping them out here and there. And it's smart enough to do it at once for all of them. I'm just curious imagine... to see what the sphere is gonna do with the new upgrades too. Yes, I'm like, <laughs> I really want more of a sphere. Like we got a little bit of a nugget. We got Starships one in disguise. Nuggets. Right. Yeah. Here's here's what happened. <clears throat> what happened was they <laughs> upgraded their computer from Windows XP to Windows 10, and they're trying to figure out where their bookmarks went and all that. <laughs> now imagine this though. Imagine having this kind of like personalized UI when we sit down to podcast. It's just like boom, everything's dialed in. Hmm. Interesting. It knows it just intuits your preference. It talks for you. But my pre- <laughs> my preference might change. Um, so yeah, Detmer is doubtful, but it's very adaptive. Um, (laughs) she's like, this was great. Yeah. And while Saru is on the bridge, apparently Nielsen is like third in command or something. Did you guys pick that up? As the, as the, as books ship appears, uh, she is basically like third in command, which I thought was pretty dope to give her that kind of role. That's pretty awesome. Uh, we get a transmission from a ship coming into the like snow globe. And um, as it turns out, it's book ship, but book is not on it. So grudge is captaining. <laughs> <laughs> Captain grudge. <laughs> Train your cat. When somebody pushes the button or when the, when the, when the green button flashes, tap the green button. You know what I thought, what, what, what my dumbass thought in this scene, I thought that the cat piloted the ship back like the, because the cat and the interface are advanced enough to do that. I, it's silly. The UI's intuitive Don't rule, to the it cat. Out. Don't rule that out, Big J. It might be true next episode. And that's how we like discovered that everything is sentient. Do you think that grudge is a dem key? I <laughs> I'm kidding, I, I'm kidding. I, I would be the only one who got that joke and it's yeah, so a good it's true. joke. I was actually so, thinking that Grudge would be like uh Isis from Catspaw. Yes. If you saw the, the TOS original That's series a cool episode, idea. um Isis was a cat who could shapeshift into a uh a humanoid form, but the the alien overall was some kind of weird little alien thing that died when Kirk disrupted the, the illusion. Good job. That would Kirk. be quite the callback. <laughs> For sure. Now, I, I want Grudge to just be a cat. Just a cat because cats in themselves are enough it's like freaking cats just doing what cats do that's that's good for me right but it's star trek so i like the inclusion of like a a, a show pet the same way we had porthos yes yeah you gotta have like a little an animal that everybody oh. loves so i saw grudge i was like kitty i need a norwegian myself. forest cat is that what grudge is pretty sure Huge. I need to correct myself. Uh, Isis was not from Cat's Paw. Isis was from uh, Assignment Earth oh, and was Gary Seven's uh, companion who was a shapeshifter that was also a cat. 
So we have precedent in TOS to bring back cat shapeshifters. What, what, uh, what, but there was another cat. Not in my Star Trek. What wasn't there was another one because uh you know I, Spock was petting a cat like everyone's seen that that little video or, or gift. I don't think that cat was a shapeshifter though. No, I don't. I don't that was so. just your regular cat, Big Jay. Okay. That you want? Shapeshifter right, cats, right. cats, and cations. Take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so cat shows up and they're like, "What the fuck?" Burnham gets back. Burnham's aboard, um, and we get a message from book like an auto message about there being the black box. He found it, but he's in trouble. He's on Hun Hao. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burnham already has like a plan and she basically expects her to just green light this, but you can tell that as soon as he like t- informs her that that's not happening because they're on call. Um, you can tell that in her, like her whole demeanor is like, well, I'm about to fucking betray him yes. because she knows that she's going to do what she thinks is right. And now she's been away from Starfleet for a year and she's not really as the bond of like authority isn't as strong with her anymore. So she knows she's going to just totally like, she's going to basically ruin her friendship with him. Like it was very real, strong before. I think Saru realized that too, though. I think Saru would be foolish to not think in the back of his mind that she's going to do the thing anyway. Well, you know, he does talk about that later with Tilly. Right. Okay. Yeah. You would think that if that was the case, then they would kind of like, you know. It's not, not that it wasn't, it wasn't one of those, uh, like, I have to say this thing but I'm going to give you the body language and the eyes as if I want the you to do the nod. opposite. Right. It's, it's like not the winking. It's a pure disagreeance on, Correct. on policy. Totally, totally get it. Yes. But like, I feel like they, they've broken the rules together before. And so, you know, Saru is very upstanding. He's the kind of guy that's like, in my opinion, mm-hmm gonna do what he thinks is right regardless of protocol like he's gonna rely on lean on protocol but he's kind of like um this guy from lower decks boimler boimler Boimler, the the, by the book guy and then well and so there's there's a difference between when you're when you're telling someone not to do something but you're saying it just because you have to say it and you're actually telling them to do the opposite. <clears throat> the difference between that and telling someone not to do something, you really mean it, but in the back of your mind, you know, well, this person's going to go and do the opposite anyway. Th- those were those are two different things. And the way that Saru was presenting it was he really meant it, but he knew that she was probably going to do whatever anyway, which is, uh, something that, uh, the, the, the Admiral in Star Trek three didn't catch with Kirk. Yeah. And they're, they're having the little meeting in the, in the lunchroom and excuse me, the Admiral's telling Kirk not to do it. He's going to destroy himself. You know, Jim, do you, do you understand? And there's the Kirk's just kind of, you can see the wheels going. He's just looking and, 
um, and then suddenly changes his mood. Is like, yeah, you're right. What's the word, Admiral? Yeah, the word is. I, th- no. I feel like <laughs> Starfleet's, going anyway. Starfleet's really lucky to have someone like Burnham who like they just don't realize it. They, they I guess are. The, how how lucky they are to have her. But like, um, just I guess moving moving forward. So she asks like Giorgio for help, who obviously accepts because she likes uh, off the books unsanctioned shit. Giorgio has the best lines of this season. Oh my! You had me at unsanctioned mission, <laughs> man. She, they have a she's they perfect. have a really good conversation aboard book ship too. Agreed. I, I mm-hmm. like. Yeah, and this is like a great episode for a B plot. Yep, you're right. But we it is. didn't get a B plot because if when every time we go back to this to the discovery, they're just in their holding pattern. There's no like ongoing B plot other than maybe like Adira and Stamets. It, it, that's almost like a D plot, honestly, because there's well, no like this. It's not like there's a like a. It's just a piece of them as characters it's not necessarily like a plot you know the b plot was not having a plot that's what the b plot was <laughs> yeah the b, the b plot, plot was, was let's not... give some slice of life moments yes yeah. the b plot was not having a b plot yeah um so Giorgio accepts of course then we hit our credits our title sequence um after that we switch over to books ship uh where apparently they just fucking left um Giorgio and Burnham kind of banter here. She thinks that Giorgio thinks that Burnham's in love um, with Book. The Blob Whisperer. The Blob Whisperer. The Blob which, is Grudge, and Book yes. is the Blob Whisperer. Oh, oh, Blob. Yeah, because Giorgio. Giorgio seems like a cat person, though. Well, Burnham misunderstood it at first. She thought that Blob Whisperer meant the Transforms, but transforms aren't blobs i meant the right. cat right mm-hmm. like yeah. the writing between these two is flawless <laughs> yeah the new showrunner has definitely injected an amount of humor into this show that was uh, observably lacking in the last two seasons oh yes yeah that's what it was i could not put my finger on it for the longest time as to that and now you said it you're right it, it was so lacking of any kind of humor mm-hmm. that that's that's what it was okay okay so that that's why this season seems so much fun and and so humorous and it's not because there's a lot of it is that there was more than the near zero it just exists right <laughs> <laughs> now it exists Big J, think about how much we enjoyed watching Lower Decks, right? Lower Decks is granted silly. It is yes. actually funny and fun, right? It's mm-hmm. not taking itself too seriously most of the time. But that kind of like uh, injection of humor happens in Star Trek, and it has happened in the past for every show, right? Like right. you've got ridiculous scenes like Spock without a brain. That's a whole episode, and they walk around like an automaton. It's oh, laughable right? Or they have scenes where crew members become salamanders. That wasn't done in seriousness. That was done with some jest to it, right? <laughs> like, Star Trek has a sense of humor. When we you try to take the it threshold. seriously, yeah, that one has crossed the line. But Don't go there, please. <laughs> point is, Star Trek has always had a sense of humor, so trying to be super serial about it just ends up turning people off. If you're listening to this on any of your podcast outlets or you're watching us on YouTube, head over to the YouTube channel and leave us some comments. What are your favorite silly moments that predate Discovery? TOS, uh, the animated series, moments in the in the original series movies, the TNG movies, the New Trek movies, TNG DS9 Voyager, Enterprise. Bring us your silly moments 
and and we can guarantee you that discovery is not jumping the shark with these with these moments because they have existed throughout trek and part of it is integral to star trek mm-hmm. right i just i don't remember uh, laughing once during season 1 and not even a chuckle or a snort season 2 i'm sure i did i think i did but i couldn't you know don't quote me on that but yeah season 3 for sure so yeah. That's the thing. This is not new. It's been this in Trek. alone elicited several chuckles from me. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the next scene that we have in our list in particular, I was cracking up the whole time. Tilly trying to negotiate with Grudge out from under the bed. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Love well, it. I want to I go back real quick to the previous scene because we didn't sure. cover off on oh, them right. entering the graveyard, um, which that's the background I have currently, is they basically uh, get out of warp... Um, and, and also, Giorgio is having like PTSD during the moments after she jokes around with Burnham as they kind of enter. And we are showing screen grabs, which, whoa, that's a lot of grape jelly. Um, <laughs> holy shit, that's like crazy wh- blood. Why suddenly um, is she having these, these, uh, yeah attacks she'll about tell that. us later well we'll okay. find out but i do like the theory we came up with the, in our previous episode that the space and i think this was dag's idea but like the space between the mirror universe and our universe is expanding and with that is the somewhat subatomic uh chimeric strain of protein in her dna mm-hmm. and so there's like a lot of uh, separation going on there could be like some actual physical things happening because we they we know that there hasn't been a crossing in like 500 years but why would so, that cause flashbacks why would that cause her to have flashbacks because of- she's because gaining a conscience magic i don't fucking know because we need something to, a so reason. i think it's equally likely that section 31 bro from the previous episode like triggered something in her subconscious without her ever <gasps> having a clue and yeah this is just how he's like this is how yeah. they they train her or they recruit her this way yeah this is how they make her the candidate yeah if you mm-hmm. can blink away a hologram you can tap into someone's noodle easy yeah you're Does anybody else point out does anybody else find themselves like walking around looking at people going <laughs> no doubt it's just just blinking at people mostly because no. i just don't look at people i, I just don't know their frequency i don't know the frequency don't don't know the frequency. Them up. <laughs> we've just described social awkwardness and for in terms of technomancy i just don't know your frequency man <laughs> um, so one so, thing i did want to point out about, about the uh, shipyard or the yeah, arrival yeah. at the scavenger planet mm-hmm. was a lot of the wrecks that we see in orbit in fact Almost all the wrecks we've seen over are ships from Discovery seasons one and two. They're only ships that came from the Discovery. We don't see anything from basically How anywhere else. How can you determine that with all these pieces? With one exception. Oh, I'm good at this. With one exception. I sat there in front of this picture and was like, circle, Cardenas class, circle, Nimitz class. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I'm bad. There is a Miranda class, though, and that's not something that we'd seen in Discovery. And that's a nice thing to at least include because it's from the right era if all these ships are 22 or 22nd century wrecks. Um, so I like that bit. Yeah. No, they're not. They, they were supposed to be... It happened Rex, 150 years yeah, prior the, to the, the current day. That this was in. supposed to be a graveyard of ships that suffered the burn. These are not supposed to be old ships. They're supposed to be 32nd century ships. That That's why I'm thrown off as to why they're showing. There's a little bit of both. Yeah. Burnham does say that this graveyard is supposed to be like many other graveyards that she's seen that existed after the burn. So, yeah, I did get the sense that these are supposed to be 31st century or newer starships. 
Um, but when they do go down to the, 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 the scavenger yard, they're saying that Osira is super into 23rd and 24th century relics, which would explain why some of those ships that are just hanging out above the grave of the, the scavenger yard um, have that. Oh, stuff. okay. So that's why she has all this shit. I just mm-hmm. missed the part that she's yeah, like, I totally really think Osira is a time so traveler now. She's going to, she's going to love these people. That's a cool point, Dag. I hadn't thought about that one. Osara totally could be somebody who's like just ignored the temporal prime directive or whatever. Yep. Why is she looking for 24th century relics? They're 700 years old. Collector, you know, antiques. I I don't know. Some people just like. Because even though we're 900, almost a thousand years in the future, we're still obsessed with the previous timeline. Yeah. So I'm waiting for my future timeline. So it's different for us. I need my relics from uh, 1420, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we got some museums. Dag, will you go check out? Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, Giorgio bargains with Mr. Dumbass, and um, he basically like, get out of my orbit, and she basically steps on his neck, which I loved. I love she her. calls him a meat sack. Yeah. Um, Just devours him. She's like, I don't care about your eyes unless they're dangling on my belt. Yeah. Like, and then at one point, and then at one point, he's like, uh, duh, 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 duh. "Form a sentence." Is what yeah. Joe says. She just snaps. Yeah. He's like, wow. This. So she. Yeah. She totally convinces like them to let them down there because of all their fucking dilithium and. um Burnham manages to reverse engineer Grudge's receiver to find book in order to find book so that's a burnham moment for sure we cut over to tilly's quarters uh tilly and burnham's quarters um and grudge is hanging out in there and they kind of grapple do they still have shared quarters i thought i thought burnham had her own quarters now i think this might just be tilly because grudge had to be taken care of by someone so burnham shoved him into tilly's room well tilly seemed like the best suited to take care of a cat out of out of anyone but Tilly's there's the only like, one that wouldn't just outright say no. There's like another bed. That just may be the quarters that she's assigned and they haven't gotten around to giving her bigger quarters because they have a third of the crew they used to. I don't know. But Bert well, definitely has her own quarters. Put the remember? beds together then. Nah. And make a bigger bed. That's what I, I don't know. first thing. <laughs> well, here, here's the thing though. Between your, your named characters, who are you going to use? The only other option you have is a Stamets in Colbert and what would play funnier with a cat moment. All right. You know who, what would play funnier with the cat moment? Jet. Linus. 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 Give it to Linus. Well, but they gave Linus something better. Nah, Jet, Jet would have this cat like holding hyperspanners in its mouth while she's trying to rig together a shuttlecraft or something. I don't know why I have this job, but you're making it a lot easier. Meow. Okay. (laughs) Here's what I envision with Linus. It'd be like the sort of like the cat is absolutely terrified and hiding in the corner because Linus is just smiling at it kind of thing. And it's like, no, I'm not going to eat you. Come out. Mm-hmm. I think it would be cool if Detmer had grudge because Detmer's going through a lot of hard shit. Oh, and fair. so it's kind of like a companion animal. That's I think Tilly cute. is more uh, more likely to give off the um, uh, the cat mom vibe. What is that What do you mean by that, Big J, exactly? Well, I meant like, yeah. the squint eye, so think very carefully <laughs> about your answer. Y- yes, I'm thinking very, very carefully here. Um, oh, I'll this... wait. 
Oh my God. I mean, like, <laughs> it, just, just the, the natural nurturing propensity to take care of an animal that's a feline. Oh, that is so sweet. Thank sweet. you. Man. As a cat. My backpedaling <laughs> skills are just like, you know. Just... Jay, yeah. are you a rower? Because you can backpedal well. Um, <laughs> I want to I wanna touch back on Renzo's thing about, about Linus having the cat. That mm -hmm. actually would have been very interesting if Linus was actually flashing around the ship on purpose, looking for the cat and going, this isn't the science lab. And then at the very end of the episode, it shows Linus flash and there's the cat. He's like, finally. <laughs> that would have paid off really yes well. that would that would have been cute super <laughs> cute um okay let's keep going so grudge until he grapple while she tries to find where michael's at and he's a really really cute little cat in his face yes um uh so we go back down to hunt how uh giorgio and burnham they they came down to the planet there's this verbal sparring that goes on with this orion uh it's very well written um they go through the forge or scrap like area and burnham is looking for book the whole time georgia's pretending that like burnham is her servant so she's sending her off to go do like these errands mm -hmm. and um find me parts yeah are you gonna say something right yeah, small thing i just want to point out i actually appreciate the fact that they're holding true to the stereotype that orion males are big hunky dudes and that's just it like move on from that because that's just following through with what we knew from Enterprise. But every like Orion male they've cast for this season has been like a stereotype, big burly dude. Yeah, I didn't know that that was a thing. That's it it great. is. Yeah, I like that they did that. I want to also establish here that uh, we learn Meatsack is Osiris' nephew, so there's a blood relation there, and that's important when we get to the, the end of the episode. Okay. Okay. Nephew. So she's probably Giorgio's age. Right. Could Osiris could be. Yeah. Could be. Or, you know, some people have nephews that are like I don't even know if Osira is Orion though, because it could be like nephew by by marriage or something, right? I'm so willing that could be a to twist bet that Osira is Orion simply by the name, the context surrounding the emerald chain. Uh could be Andorian too. It would make for a um, fun twist for her to be a human who has like a daughter who married into orions or something correct yeah I, I i think it'll be cool to see like i would love to see of an orion villain because i think we haven't really i mean i think we have but like nothing it'll be fresh this. we've never had and a we know that we know that orion like at, there was at some point it's kind of flipped on the slave thing like the women have pheromones that they use to control the rest of the government and it's like a secret thing that's going on so there's an episode of be, enterprise that uh yeah flip flip what we thought of the culture and it's the mm -hmm. uh the females that are actually the uh at the one's at the charge. top yeah, yeah, the one's yeah. Be, so, so i think it'd be, be cool to see that play it, out yeah mm -hmm. we should be sad about it though because we know that the orions progressed to the point where they no longer were largely slavers or pirates from what ken details us in uh lower decks so here they, here years. we yeah, here we see that they've regressed back to that sort of state um, and took the Andorians with them, which, you know, the galaxy just went through the burn calamity, so I guess it's, it makes sense. But... It's a great it's a great lesson of the whole, you know, if we were faced as a people with this kind of calamity, what levels of society would that we have advanced from would suddenly make a huge comeback to where would we regress? Mm -hmm. totally. You're right, there, there would be 
a lot of regression. If, if something like this happened, uh, for example, what would you guys say would be in our day right now, similar to the burn? Would it be like the loss of all gasoline suddenly just combusted and cars just blew up everywhere, uh, it, airplanes fell a, out of the sky? It's a carbon if the carbon level of uh, of the atmosphere uh, reached a point where uh, standard combustion ignition was impossible and you weren't able to ignite your combustion engine, you'd also have to walk around with a mask because you'd have to filter that, but something like that. Yeah, we I all know that people are going to willingly wear masks if something like that happens. Oh, bad. So I think a good comparison would be like if there was an EMP that like passed over Earth and got rid of all of our communication and got rid of our uh, our non non combustible travel options. Mm -hmm. um, and so we would kind of rely on like it would it would just it wouldn't kill everybody well the burn killed everyone just because everything exploded mm -hmm. but if you weren't if it would just re remove a a very technologically advanced thing that everyone relied on it wouldn't necessarily like kill people well, so in the united states right like almost every car that we drive has a computerized like fuel yes. injection system yeah, right that's so exactly our cars would simply thinking. fail out right anything yeah. that was active would be inactive mm -hmm. so it very largely, very significantly, like leave us in the dark ages, right? Mm -hmm. Like other parts of the world, um, parts of the third world where they still have like pre 1970s cars that have like non fuel injection systems, right? Mm -hmm. Those places would still have cars. I was just thinking Cuba, yeah. 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 It was mm -hmm. the pretty emblematic of it. So, yeah, yeah. it definitely set us back. Yeah. A lot. But I, I will say, listeners, we'd still find a way to give you Beyond Track podcast. For sure. <laughs> There's so. always a way. If you can read smoke way. signals, we can do this. Yes. Life uh, <laughs> finds a way. Carrier uh, pigeons. Yes. <laughs> Carrier, I thought those were extinct. <laughs> no, no, you're thinking passenger pigeons. Thank you. Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, so, so Michael's looking for book, and she's kind of being sneaky around the forge. We see like some of the culture there where they put these like very matrix looking. Um, like nodes on head the back exploders. of people's necks. Exploder. Like exploder oh, it's head exploders. Very running man. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, yes running man. Um, okay. I didn't know that those were the cause of the pylon mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, oh, if, you, if you have the sensor on your neck and you run past the safety grid, the sensor goes, explode. Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah, so, Wadi, go watch the, the running man with Arnold Schwarzenegger and... Uh, you'll, you only have to sit through the first like 10 minutes of it and you'll see a lot of parallels in that, in that movie to the, the scene here with mm -hmm. this, just this whole, this whole thing. I it'll, it'll actually, be, I think it's specifically an homage to battle Royale though. So battle Royale is a, is a Japanese novel that got turned into like a movie and then has become like the inspiration for a ton of genres, mm -hmm. right? Where they had a school of middle schoolers every year that gets put on an island and only one person can survive and get off the island. They put everybody's head gets like a necklace that will blow your head off if you try and leave just the island with everybody without killing everybody else first, right? It gets brutal mm -hmm. shit, but that was the, it was written in the seventies. It's, it's, it was a big inspiration for a lot of those genre type things. Bunch of middle schoolers on an island. Yes. That, Jesus Christ. Yes. That's what how they it? established like justice. Like that was like the foundational thing for their justice system. Like you, the state will rule you because if you don't, this is what we do to our kids kind of thing. Oh my, oh wow, okay. <laughs> okay, um, damn. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
the book is helping out the people around him just by like emotionally bolstering them as there's like an Andorian that was part of this like resistance or something. And then he started working again for the chain, um, which just yeah. makes me think of this. The, the name of that makes me think of Fleetwood Mac. So he got, he was born into the Emerald Chain, started leading a resistance against the Emerald Chain. Osiris found out, cut off his antenna, and now forces him to install these head-exploding devices as a way to tell everybody here, even the freedom thinkers among you are going to betray you, so don't try it. Mm -hmm. His so, name is Rin. Yeah. So one thing that we did learn from Enterprise, because this happened to Shran, is Andorian antenna do regrow. It takes... Mm -hmm nine months, maybe a little less if you properly simulate things. So they would regrow. So in his case, they must have done something a bit more than just cut them off. They probably like burn them. the stump or something gross yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or they just I, continually cut them off like fucking assholes. That's oh. You mentioned Shran, and I was totally I thinking mind, it, I guess. <laughs> it would be it would be very interesting if this person fills a Shran gap uh, in terms of bringing the Federation back together. Okay. Someone to bridge the Andorians back into it. Yeah. Let's right. put a, let's put a pin in that one. I like that thought. So there is this other human right there. He's a Bajoran. Mixed. He's Bajoran. So <clears throat> what's his name? I don't think we ever got a name for him, did we? So Dead Man Walking is his name. He, yeah, he steals. Oh, he steals spoilers. from the Orion. Orions. He steals a water ration. Mother, like, oh, how dare you? Um, mm -hmm. Steals He's a water too, ration. Yeah, he's clearly like in pain. He's hurting. He's probably very sick and exhausted and overworked. Um, they force, they basically shoot him into the pylons. Like they force him to run into the pylons, which could kill him. And they do. The, his head completely explodes from his body. Um, so then we we see this scene, and Book is like, you know, trying to tell him to stop. And um, it's it's the douchebag Orion nephew who's like shooting at him to kill him Freaking orion chad force him to run yeah he's basically a huge chad um so we go to scene eight which is back on discovery um adira and gray are bonding and engineering and they are just having some conversation about i guess what she's working on and i don't really know exactly what it is but um stamets comes in and dislikes how adira is working it's kind of like everything is everywhere i don't think she was criticizing adira's work i think he was criticizing the fact that during the revamp of the ship they moved something because i don't think he he was even looking at what she was doing at that point oh okay cool uh so linus is transporting in and out everywhere it's pretty funny um he's getting definitely this really the, cool the, manicure here yeah it's like a linus is basically like the comic relief on discovery at this point um Adira redesigned the spore drive interface to be nanogel and quantum there <laughs> quantum juice a, a quantum transducer or yes. something yeah. so it's like this gel like that you put your hands in it looks really cool I just want to touch it really bad like I'm very uh I'm a very drive textile controlled via nanogel which acts as a quantum transducer yeah so I I love like uh sensory yeah. textile wow. textures and so seeing the goo is like yeah I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go make some jello just stick my hands in it um I've got a hand raise here real quick can yeah. I just say that this is kind of what I was afraid of going into this season and going so far into the future 
And the thing that I was kind of worried about was just the whole, we can do anything now. We have, we have technology that's now it's basically magic. Like any, anything you want to have happen, we can make it happen. And to me, I was thinking, well, if, if you've got a show now, you've got a season that's just got MacGuffins everywhere. How do you have a, a show? How do you have the, the conflict? I mean, what's the, what's the stop you from, for doing anything? And, and so far they haven't really done that to where I feel like everything's just absolutely perfect and there's no problems. Of course we have the burn, but it's just the, the advanced technology is that we can, we can detach nacelles. We can change your um, spore drive interface. Suddenly we can do this and do that. I, I don't know. I mean, does anyone else get that feeling of like, okay, there's nothing that they can't do now? Yeah, Dag. Dag's got the hand raised now. I, Let's hear it. I, I have, would like to hear, I, you, hear your thoughts, Tech. I have an answer, and I'm going to use um, a thought from the, mo- the 2004 movie Incredibles. Syndrome is building advanced tech to give people powers, and he has a line in there where he says something along the lines of... <laughs> You know, I I built this great technology and I'm going to sell it around the world. And when everyone's super, no one will be. And I think I think what's happening is Discovery is getting a level up to be on a level playing field with everybody else. We mentioned that earlier in the podcast. Now Discovery can actually compete with these people who have these Mm -hmm. quantum torpedoes. And I think, you know, sure, it looks like magic now. But if everybody has this, then the stakes are still the same. And okay. sure, we're going to have bad guys with more fantastic things than we've seen in Star Trek, but Discovery is not going to be this magic end all. I like that we're all hand raising. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. So I yield the floor. The thing I want to bring up on this is I think it's awesome that they have this, Big J. I think the opposite. I love the fact that they're coming up with technology so fantastical they may as well be magic because what we'd already seen in Star Trek was already bordering it, right? Like the Genesis torpedo, that's basically magic. Replicators are basically magic. Transporters are basically magic from our perspective. But to these people, all those technologies are kind of mundane or at least plausible, feasible. So what's the next step beyond that, right? And it makes sense that they show some sort of like transition or progress because if you look at another IP like Star Wars, you look at stuff from 10,000 years ago in the old Republic era, they've got blasters, they've got droids, they've got ships, they've got hyperdrive. Fast forward now, uh, they've got ships, they've got blasters, they've got droids, they've got hyperdrives. Nothing's really fundamentally changed, right? The designs are a bit cool or whatever. I like the fact that Star Trek in this 900-year span managed to show us that, you know, there are still some touchstones, some things are still pretty static, but huge changes have also changed. Your huge things have also changed. There have been advancements. I like seeing that. And if that means that things have to look a little bit silly sometimes, it's never going to be as silly as the spore drive. So I'm good with it. Right. And okay, Watney has a hand Watney. raised. <laughs> this is silly. I think that it doesn't really change anything. Yeah. Okay. Like it's just a, okay, you still rely on stamets. It's just a different way. He just uses his fingers instead of his forearms. Like it's, it's just it's just cooler looking. It's, it's all is, the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's just cooler, it's just cooler looking. Like the nacelles. Yep, still need them to go, but now they're just apart from the ship. Like it's it's functionally the same. Yes. But that's 
plot still requires the mystery. Well, and the, and there's still tasks that need to be done. And this just brings them like, it just aesthetically makes them on par with like the, the, the most important thing, the most important change in my head is the uh, upgrade in shields and the mm -hmm. upgraded weapons, which will have an actual physical effect on the world around them. Mm -hmm. The interface Stamets use is really negligible in my head because it still requires him. So right. anyway, yeah, he's still their single point of failure. So well, yep. the, the the thing that that I was saying, and then Juan, you can get us back on track. It was not so much the Stamets thing; it was everything that we've seen leading up to that was was like we have technology to solve everything. I was just worried that it would be. Power, every power, hurdle power creep. right it would be right that that we have technology for every hurdle but what dag said made a lot of sense referring back to the incredibles is that this is technology that starfleet doesn't only have this is what is the standard so mm -hmm. when when everyone is uh when everyone's a super no one is and that, that's that was great so everything you guys quote. yes yes everything you guys just just said here is like okay yeah Did we ease your mind that you did ease my okay. mind thank thank you guys that was that's why i like doing this with you guys you know <laughs> so back to the scene i like the fact that adira and 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 samitz had a little bit of bonding there where she yeah. manages to like give him something that he didn't know was possible and we know that he hates the ports and he tells us that reminds us of that later so mm -hmm. This is mm -hmm. a way for him to do it without reports. And yep. there's no residue from the goo because that would be an issue for me. It may also be a way for Discovery to do it without Stamets. If they figure out a way, yeah. Well, and that was one of their objectives. Yeah, yeah. To make sure that if Stamets died, that they had a way to power this drive. It's, it's a, a lot less invasive and like, we need to plug him into the Matrix because he's fucking Neo mm -hmm. and he's the only one that can do this. It's a lot like, mm, I'm just going to touch this and do it. So I think it is like one step closer yes. in, in functionality to getting him not to be so incredibly essential to this entire plot. Like, you can't do this without him. So you cannot, you cannot black alert without him. Yeah. It should be noted that the nanogel not only moisturizes, but it provides essential um, nutrients to your cuticles. Oh, does they have rid of my calluses? Because that'd be great too. Oh yeah, we stand a moisturized cuticle. <laughs> Maybe so, I just do. Um. So while you're traveling anywhere in the galaxy through the mushroom space, uh, your hands are going to come out on the other side feeling smooth and silky. Oh yeah, I like it. Get your own dash drive for thirty nine nine ninety nine ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> with a time time travel device. So I um, love the scene with when we go back to the planet and they start like going through some of the relics or whatever. He's got like a bucket full of com badges, and we see Klingon com badges, twenty third century, twenty fourth century. I think there was a twenty ninth century one in there too. Like they've got a bunch of badges in there, and it's really neat. In a in a bowl. It's like, it's like they recovered my cosplay box. <laughs> <laughs> right. It looks Max like this is actually running this facility. <laughs> I'm Osira. It, it looks like that spot in the store where it's it's like the um, free take one <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. At the, at the is, front uh, register. Who's the 32nd century Macklemore talking about this thrift shop? <laughs> Probably Tilly. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so we learned that like some of them are probably fakes too. <laughs> like the their Orions are probably like counterfeiting some relics. Um, 
were lying about where they came from, or maybe they just don't know what they're talking about. Um, so uh, Burnham finds Book and they manage to sneak away and um, basically have a moment like they they are so super glad to see each other. He has the black box and does he hand it over now? No, it's in his quarters. They have to get that later. Yeah, um, so they basically quarters. make a plan here to bust them out. And, and he's like, you just need to take the black box and leave. I'll find my own way out. And she's like, absolutely not. We have your ship. We're going to get you out and get everybody out. He was very surprised to see her here. Like he, he, he did not think that the grudge like recall method was going to function this way. He didn't expect it to go this way at all. Well, when your plan B relies on a cat, being able to get your ship to anywhere. Okay, I, Watney, what I meant was, of course, a cat can be reliable <laughs> to take a ship and <laughs> just a get, look. get to Starbase. <laughs> <laughs> I retract the entire last statement. You're fine. <laughs> still, still, I thought it was a pretty cool scene, like showing that his character was surprised by it. Though I don't think he should be because Burnham is like the he hero. Yeah. yeah. She's the main character. Very She's coming for you. You're fine. <laughs> like you're you're gonna be just fine. In fact, you're probably gonna be the love interest, which we find out later is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. So um they don't love, they don't live together, they love together. I think that was the line from before. <sighs> interest. Yeah, that was what uh what Burnham said yeah. on the ship is that uh oh, I have my own ship. We don't love together. And Giorgio said, You just said we don't love together. And Burnham's like, No, I said live. But the subtitles don't lie. Interesting. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, uh, I definitely, I think they're a good match. I think they're both like great intentioned and, um, mm -hmm. they're both, oh. she's, she, she's a little more of a free spirit now and that kind of meshes well together. One point to, to make here when they were talking about buying things from the scavenger yard, they pointed out that don't go to the scavenger yard directly, go to the, go to your local Bajoran exchange. So it sounds like Bajorans have learned from the Ferengi and have like become the commerce people of the galaxy. Because mm -hmm. if you want to buy something, you buy it from the Bajorans who bought it from the scavengers of the Emerald chain or wherever. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's an interesting development because we never really saw the Bajorans as being a mercantile people. They were always religious and isolated. So, yeah, it's, um, it's a super cool like political landscape kind mm -hmm. of nugget. I like that too. And uh, so Giorgio like is like, I hope gave you enough time. You better <laughs> have gotten what you need. Um, so they kind of do like the whole like just look at each other and download the plan thing <laughs> where they just like, yep, okay, we know what to do, even though we haven't talked about this at all. I guess that's what happens when you're a well-oiled machine. We do jump back to the discovery. Before we move on, anyone have thoughts on this scene? Uh, there was, so talking about the, the Bajorans and, and all of that, I, I think what's happening is the post-scarcity mentality in, in, in society that kind of started with, with Earth and, and spread over the hundreds of years, uh, the, just the concept of we have all these resources, we're pulling together all these Federation members, we have these ships that can do things. You, you had all these lines of trade, commerce, communication. So your post-scarcity grew from Earth and at its, at its height, I'm not saying that it ex expanded to the entire galaxy, maybe not even the entire you know, alpha and beta quadrant, but 
you got used to it for so many hundreds of years. Now, suddenly the post-scarcity went away again because the Federation collapsed. And I think that had a huge impact on that part of the galaxy. So now you do have uh, people that are feeling those effects. You've you lost your travel and your, your communication. You have to get supplies. You have to have commerce. You, you have to now pay for things again. You have to trade. And the Bajorans don't have the luxury of just going to church every day. They have to be a part of the economic wheel that that's happening. You have to get uh, a supply and you have to have a demand. Uh, everyone, everyone needs that now. So I, I think that's, that's why to me, the, those things aren't really kind of a surprise. Like it's sort of a, you would figure that would happen now is that a lot of races had to change the way they operate and, and how they do things because now you can't get anything for free anymore. Even if you're in the core of the Federation, which yeah. hardly exists now, you know, you've got to have money. You've got to have, we're, we're back to money and currency again, kind of like in, um, if you ever play any of the, the fallout games, the bottle caps become the currency. So it's, it's like that, you know, you, you have a regression and you have to have the basic needs and it's, Mm -hmm. some form of compensation or money, whatever form that is for trade. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to say was I really like the way Michelle Yeoh has been acting in these entire scenes down on the mm -hmm. planet where she's calling uh, Michael uh, servant. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's very demeaning and it's overacted, but it's perfect for the situation. It kind of reminds me of Patrick Stewart playing the French villain in Picard. It's overacted. <laughs> it's overacted on purpose right? Because these characters are not actors, even if the actors who play the characters playing a character are, which is good. Mm -hmm. I like it. You know what both of those scenes help me understand is that facial recognition technology was banned in the Federation a long, long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> everybody should have been like, dude, that's Picard. Like, <laughs> I know, like, right? I'm, I've got his, I've got his tops, you know, 2376 tops collection right here. It's got oh everybody on the Enterprise D. It's fine. <laughs> You're serious tops collection. That's hilarious. That <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the Bajorans here, though, because I'm thinking like, was the burn part of the prophet's plan? Or, you know, what's the plan for Bajor don't now? Get me started. I don't. Win <laughs> we, we don't even, we don't even need to talk about that now, but it just, it <laughs> popped into my head when you said the Bajorans couldn't go to church anymore. And I'm like, man, what are the prophets doing? Kai Wynn did the burn. Oops. No, no, I know who's cause of the burn is George Bush. No, it's, it's Gold Ducata Taco Bell. <laughs> Watney, please get us back on track because we're falling. Yeah. <laughs> the wheels we are popping off. Discovery where Tilly is kicking ass at delegating. Um, Saru decides he wants to speak with her. Um, and they come to the conclusion together that neither of them know where Burnham's at, but they probably know where she, what she went to do. Well, Tilly doesn't know what her plan was, but Saru does. And so they kind of say, um, like, well, not happy about her leaving. Neither of them are, but you know, Tilly doesn't want the whole crew to be painted with the same brush and ruin their chances at the Federation, um, the existing Federation as it is. And so she's like, you need to turn her into the Admiral. And Saru is like, I was not expecting you to say that, but fine. I'll, I'll tattletale. I, I said, Tilly's going to Tilly tail. 
Tilly right. tale. Well, I really don't think it's a matter of of narking on Burnham because unfortunately, Tilly is right. Saru does not have an option. If Vance finds out and he doesn't find out from Saru, then they're all screwed. So yeah. it, it's either do I want to to screw over the entire crew or this person that defied orders when I when I knew that that was probably going to happen anyway. And we'll find out later. I think that's the big reason why he's he's so upset at her because it's it's kind of a like damn it you put you have put me in this situation that I didn't want to be in to make this choice that shouldn't have had to be made and so that that's that's his burden you can kind of you can kind of tell by looking at him just his his mannerisms and, and attitude it's it very much comes off as a he knows what's what's going to have to happen mm-hmm. and he's and he's ticked that it would have to be that way that he he can't not report it because if if he doesn't then they can forget about any <clears throat> goodwill what little bit of goodwill they were able yeah. to build with admiral vance yeah, yeah it's so. it's a sticky situation yep. for saru and but i think like burnham totally went in knowing that there's going to be consequences mm-hmm. for this but she did it anyway and mm-hmm. um i think saru like can trust her honestly like she's she has she would never hurt anybody on purpose like she would make sure everyone was safe she would never put anyone at risk Mm -hmm. but when it comes to authority now she's like fuck you i'm gonna go (laughs) do what i need to waffle good vulcan-esque to being chaotic good right like yes great great description yes that's exactly what's happened so um so they they don't look happy. They have a moment. I like the t- interaction between them. So then we cut back to Hun Hao. Um, the plan is underway. There's some like, you know, fighting a, that happens. They managed a droid to get, following them. Yeah, they managed to get the perimeter controls. Um, so they have that in their pocket for when everyone's ready to like escape. Um everyone's just kind of like looking at each other seriously, like, it's it, this is it. Let's go. God, this is so much. It, the Running Man. Like, I'm going to watch that today. This is it's got so many parallels to it. There, um, there is the black box. What is that made of? What's like the? What is the the most? Neutronium. Deuteronium. Neutronium. 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 You think that's what it's well, made of? No, because remember they talked about having neutronium alloys in the hulls, right? Like that was one of the things. So maybe neutronium is not the hardest thing anymore. That it was neutronium fibers. And just because you have it right. doesn't mean that it's not the strongest thing. Fair. Fair, so, yes. The, the, the planet killer was made out of solid neutronium. Right. The reason that I say neutronium is because, for those of you listening, neutronium is actually real. Um, it is conceived to be uh, matter where, um, if you're familiar with chemistry, you've got your protons and your neutrons, and then your electrons are way out in BF Egypt, and they orbit your, pro- your nucleus. Um, it's the, it said that if your nucleus of an atom was the size of an orange, uh, that the nearest electron shell would be at the radius of the Earth away. So they're conceived comparatively very far apart. Neutronium is this idea where um, matter is packed so densely that the electron shells have collapsed and are orbiting next to the proton or the nucleuses of the of the atoms are 
huddling next to each other with the electrons scrambling around in very tiny channels. And that's how dense it is, to use that analogy. Is it real? Yes. yes. So it happens in the cores of neutron stars. Um, here's the problem, though. It's under such great pressure and so dense. It's so dense that a teaspoon of it probably weighs more than the moon. Yes. Ne neutron stars, that, that's, a, that's a thing. You're right. If you, if you were to, uh, well, a, a teaspoon, I I'm looking it up just to make sure I'm probably yeah, staggering a bit, but I it's something ridiculous like that. It, it is. I, I think it's, it's definitely something ridiculous, but like, yeah, if you, you had a spoonful of neutron star matter, the, the density, the gravity pull of it is basically, you're going to suck the earth in right there. Like mm -hmm. it serious. So it's theoretical. We know that it probably exists in certain circumstances. It's basically like unobtainium. Sure. Kind of. Yeah. And we Which is that. the most uncreative <laughs> word for a. It, it it like, they use it. it. They use it in like the. They use it in like the core. There's another an avatar. Yeah. So it's like, as soon it's, as that is, it's such a lazy. It's writing. a sci-fi concept that came up in the fifties to describe metals that were so obnoxiously precious and destructible, rare, and expensive. costly. Yes. Uh, like yeah. in the core, they're even like, how what would it cost to get this done? And he's like $50 billion. And he's like, do you take checks? Cause it's the government. <laughs> I think, I think the, the goalpost that's being moved here is saying that whatever the, the black boxes are made of has to be completely indestructible. It doesn't, it just needs to be able to withstand uh, an antimatter detonation and so the black boxes could absolutely be made out of neutronium because we know that you know we, we did an antimatter spread on the board cube and that didn't destroy the board cube so just to point out though both of both of the black boxes that we've seen so far because we've seen them both both of them came from starfleet ships mm -hmm. both had ncc registries to them right. so mm -hmm. that's something to remember they're engineered too. to like survive that exact thing happening that happened so it, yeah it just has to be engineered correctly but it also gives us a survivor bias right like if she's only able to find black boxes from starfleet ships because they're the only ones that built them tough enough to survive what happened in the burn well right, then you're getting a very sub a very small subset of the ships that were blown up by it you also she's also committing the the whatever the bias is where she's only looking for starfleet black boxes. confirmation bias that's fair right. we don't yeah that could certainly be it can i, oh, can I, I look it up i just wanted to, to throw something real quick uh that I, I just thought of because it's kind of the same with with airplanes and re recovering the black box with the burn we're talking about uh the dilithium went inert and so suddenly you were not able to regulate the matter antimatter reaction and that results in an explosion. So we're talking about explosions, detonations. We're not talking about vaporization. So even in a, a matter-antimatter explosion, it's pretty well all-encompassing. There's not going to be much debris, but there will be some debris because you're still talking about an outward, from inside to outward explosion. So this may not even have to be made out of neutronium it, it could be it, it may be uh that it just needs to be strong enough and it's small enough that when you have that explosion it, it's going to be instantly you know kicked out go flying flying into space with with the rest of the debris so 
you know, that that's, that's just my thought that that's my thought. And that's, that's why even if, uh, you know, the airplanes, they, they explode in the air because the, you know, their matter, antimatter reaction, but you know, it's a gasoline, whatever you can have a complete explosion of a plane in midair, still have the black box and it's not made out of neutronium or, or it anything. Doesn't have to be. It just has to be tough enough to survive the blast. You're gonna, and that's, the impact of landing, you're completely right. That's it. Which I'm the planes should be made out of black box material. Well, uh, that may be too heavy to fly and you know it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um they get the right. perimeter controls. Reese is worried about escape. Like he's like totally freaked out about this chain and Rightfully so. I mean, they're subjugating everyone. So Did we go anyone, up to the start. Um, hold, hold on. Got to, got to raise my hand. Just, just real quick. Okay. Did anyone think at this moment that, um, that he double crossed Giorgio and, and Burnham because he told Michael that the black box was in his quarters, but yet he's got it. No, uh, the Andorian guy with the cutoff antennas, Rin, went and got it for him. But why would he tell... quarters down here. But he, but he told Michael that it was in his quarters. So he, he sent her off to go get something that wasn't there that was already either in his possession or, or the Andorians. No, they, no. He, they were not going off to get the black box. They were going off to get parts to create a control method for the perimeter pylons did i totally miss that okay maybe it wasn't very clear i'll be totally honest like i'm with you it was kind of yeah. like okay here this is happening whatever like the plot was the writing was not like super tense because right right then i remember i remember thinking why in the hell would he double cross them like he had no reason to use michael and Giorgio as a distraction for this escape and, and that and that's what the writing of the plot left me with and apparently um, I have to watch it again because that was my immediate thought when he had the thing in his hand I was thinking well why why would he do that why did he use them as the distraction that's kind of a backstabbing kind of thing but then later on when they were still cool and there was like no discussion or whatever then I was like okay now I'm more confused because it looks like he double crossed them but they're not acting that way whatsoever. So, okay. I'm yeah, just... I'm pretty sure it was literally just a matter of everybody had different tasks and Rin can move around their base pretty much uncontested. So they sent him to books, quarters, grab the thing, come back. Whereas Giorgio is getting parts for this or distracting Tolor and Burnham is getting parts for the thing. And everybody's got a task, right? And they okay. just sent Rin to do the easy one. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I'll just have to rewatch it. Okay. Moving forward. Sorry. Okay. It's all good. Um, so they start the plan. We hop up to the star base where Saru tells the Admiral um, what happened and the Admiral kind of brushes it off. Not like, oh, how dare Burnham. Um, he has bigger things on his mind. Like he mm -hmm. has other problems. So this is like negligible. Like you need to get this under control. It's your number one. Um, and he wants them to jump to the Emerald Chain issue on Argeth or something to solved whatever problem is there but mm -hmm. i don't think they ever actually do that he wants them to prep to go to black alert it's prepping yeah, yeah. because thing things are um they've 
pulled away from the negotiating table, whatever's happening is breaking down. And diplomacy now it's looking, is failing us. Yes, diplomacy is failing, and it's looking more likely that uh, Discovery is going to have to arrive at the scene. So he basically tells them, go get prepped. You're probably about mm -hmm. to get, get called in. Yeah, so then we hop back to Hanha, where the douchebag Orion finds the dilithium in their ship. <clears throat> he actually hits Giorgio in the face for like being in rude to him. And boy, um, does he like know that to her, that's foreplay. He is opening a can of whoop ass that he doesn't want. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like we know that it's not we are like <gasps> but Giorgio's <laughs> like mm, target acquired <laughs> is totally i think i this. am gonna take your eyeballs and put them on my belt so um <laughs> i kind of like his outfit that's cool looking it's like that's their little badge yeah he's gotta, he's gotta have justin bieber on repeat though the hair the, yeah the belt of Orion. yeah <laughs> yeah oh. it's yeah, think about that. Um, it's not straight enough, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, Giorgio uh, and them all fight and Book and the Slaves get out of where they're at. It's kind of like a chaotic scene. So look at those guys. Um, yeah. So um, they're on their way out and they need to get the perimeter controls down. But there's like a fight that goes on on the bridge of book ship with uh, Burnham and Giorgio. And she has flashbacks and actually becomes catatonic and falls down. Um, Reese gets shot in the escape attempt back on the planet. Uh, Burnham and Giorgio pilot the ship kind of badass style. Well, Giorgio wakes up and finally gets her shit together and takes down the perimeter pylon so that they can run away. Um, the book ship comes in through the buildings. It's super cool how they did this. There's like a firefight going on and then the ship like comes through the buildings out of the mist and it's like really cool how they did that. And it, it just shoots down all the guards that it can find like a gunship. Really badass scene. Though yeah. I'm a little surprised honestly why they didn't just use the ship to blow up the perimeter gate from the outside like mm, it might maybe that would either trigger all of the head things maybe or take too long or you're right good point my my suspicion is that yeah they'd have to take down the gate itself they couldn't just beam everybody onto the ship because the proximity sensors in their neck would say you're not in the right place explode yeah yeah there, there was there's probably a, a still a some kind of proximity issue. I, I don't know, but yeah, you know, they'd like power the system down. So you they kind of like when the ship was flying through. I got a very Millennium Falcon vibe. Yeah, <laughs> out of this ship, I did too. And it's like it, it was very Millennium Falcon. I just rewatched uh, the the most recent trilogy the other day. So. Um, Mm -hmm. very very dope scene that it like shifts around and stuff like it's a very scene. cool yeah the yeah. transformer scene it was ridiculous like this is a transformer <laughs> yeah very 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 advanced ship so um Giorgio takes down the old federation ships too they basically like nuke the whole place um and then they transport everyone off the facility reese is very hurt but he gets treated and they rush back to discovery uh with book on board in the black box and all of these old federation ships are crashing into the planet so 
and Ren got shot. Yeah, yeah, and Dorian guy got shot. Yeah. yeah. And we yes. get some interaction between Giorgio and Burnham, who's finally like, okay, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. And, what is and, going on? And like Burnham's like, hey, it'll be okay. We'll get through it together. Like, I've got your back. And Giorgio's not having it because yeah. I think that mm-hmm. she believes her, but she's unable to admit like, okay, I have your back too. Yeah, like, whole, I, like, I I believe you. She has he, she is she has her wall up. It's super obvious, but it's like her last recourse before like putting her walls down. The line but from I, him about how like how showing weakness in this universe doesn't mean death was yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. It, it was I, yes. What I'm loving about this is in in season one, Giorgio is introduced as it completely invulnerable, untouchable. And, and will kill you for blinking the wrong way at the wrong time. In season two, she she gets to be this nigh-unstoppable super fighter for Section 31. And season three is doing a really good job to, of, if I can coin a term, tyrannize her. You know, she's moving away from this indomitable force to reveal... She is putting her guard down a little more. She's in a place where she doesn't have to constantly be on her guard, worried about people assassinating her, worried about any kind of insurrection activity that could pose a threat or, or damage her reputation. Mm-hmm. So she's kind... She, I think she's... I think the show is allowing her to be more human and not think as terrible. when they showed Filippo Giorgio or when they planned Filippo Giorgio in the first episode for, you know, Battle of the Binary Stars or whatever, that they planned that they were going to bring her back as a Mirror Universe character and then rehumanize her for us. Like, do you think that that was all on somebody's arc somewhere in some plan? Because honestly, if we would have stuck with the original Giorgio character, the original Filippo from the Prime Universe, we could have seen a lot of very interesting, slight differences for this stuff. But I don't think it would have been all that different overall. Unfortunately, I am just going to have to go back and say that that first half of season one was such an unmitigated disaster. And I think the showrunner and the writers were just doing so much coke that it, it, it's nothing was was planned. It's there was it, it was just definitely a stretch. Right, right. I, I don't. Unfortunately, I cannot give them the credit to say that that was planned the, the whole thing with, with but first seasons in trek are never amazing so True. it's fine lower decks, lower decks is great. rogue the tradition so certainly um, so i think the new showrunner is influencing discovery season three in ways that the old showrunners couldn't do yes which i'm loving it yeah yep. So Georgia is very prideful of her image. She's concerned about people knowing, and she's like, you're not going to tell anybody about this. She throws the whole trust thing in Burnham's face with uh, like her Burnham's mirror self also betrayed her. Um, So yeah, but she looks fantastic as always. She's like going through trauma, but she's like so stylish. We love it. <laughs> um, so we, we jump to the Discovery's mess hall. Um, Adira is talking to herself. Stamus kind of notices and goes to sit with her. They have a moment. Um, she, he, he brings up something that we talked about in the last episode, the most recent Adira focused episode, um, where Stamets says, um, as far as I remember, you're supposed to carry his met like the, uh, his memories, not his soul. Yes. And so 
that is a big <laughs> mystery because it could just be because Adira is human and that's how humans would deal with a trill symbiont in them. Um, it could be any number of things. We could, I'm sure, speculate all day long about it. But uh, Stamets basically says like, you know, before I also love somebody that died, but wasn't really dead. And now I have them again. And I've learned life and death are not a linear thing with a distinct beginning and end. Um, Stamets then says hi to gray and gray says Adair needs to make some friends and that Stamets is, he's a pretty good mentor. So I think it's interesting. Like I've watched like interviews with people who are schizophrenic mm-hmm. and, um, Oftentimes the interviewer asks them, well, is there a hallucination in the room right now? And the, the, um, person who has schizophrenia is like, there is, but, um, and then the interviewer will ask them, well, where are they? And they're hesitant to show where that person is because, or where that hallucination is, because then you have real life interacting with a hallucination, which can be very, very dangerous when we think about mental health. And so the scene where like Stamets says hi to um, Adira's boyfriend who is not really there, but is in her head. um, It kind of like gave me some weird vibes that he did that. Like, I know that it's Star Trek and that Trill are, you know, this is how it is. This is real. And this is not like a mental disorder or anything. Um, but it did give me some weird vibes. No, See, I had a totally different approach to it. I was thinking of it from like a gay mentorship aspect, right? Like you've got somebody who's just dealt with a serious trauma, someone who just like is realizing that they've lost the love of their life and has somehow reconnected to them. And you've got a mentor who's already experienced something very similar. They lost Culber, they got Culber back, right? Yeah. So it's there's a there's a mentorship aspect that you don't often see in pop culture. So mm-hmm. like one LGBT person being a, a mentor to another is it's good and wholesome. I thought that that scene was delightful, basically. I did love the the scene itself, and then the follow up later in Hugh and Stamets' quarters was really great to learn more about why he felt drawn to that interaction. But just like the mentioning of like saying hello to somebody that he could not see it's right, it yeah. just remind it just reminded me of some no, of it the, just shows us how we focus on different well, things in the scenes yeah yeah for sure real, real quick because i took a lot of psychology in college almost minored in it but can you tell me why why is it if um if a schizophrenic is asked is there a hallucination in the room right now let's just say let's say i'm schizophrenic and i i see clear as day a the person, whoever it is, and then a real person, the interviewer asked me, is there a hallucination in the room right now? As a schizophrenic, you're saying it would be bad for me to say right here, like this per- the, the person sitting or standing right here. And if you're saying that, why? I, I'm just curious, why, why would you? Well, because um, a lot of the times when schizophrenic people have hallucinations, the hallucinations will tell them to do very um, harmful things to themselves and potentially other people. Mm -hmm. It's more more often that it's like being basically ordered to like harm yourself. And so when you give more reality and more weight to a hallucination like that, it can make it seem more real and like more impactful and more 
like, oh, well, then I should listen to it instead of being able to say, this is just a hallucination. I shouldn't listen to it. Then you have a person standing in front of you who is real flesh and blood interacting with something that's in your head that's telling you to do something bad to yourself. So it's kind of like you don't even want to link that triangle up because then it's actually there's there's someone who's interacting with a hallucination or it just gives it more power, basically. You don't want to so give it validation and recognition. Validation, okay. recognition. You want to basically continue the the course of thought that this is not something you should act on. And letting somebody else act on that is is also, it would reinforce that. I would also Again, these are just interviews I've, I've watched um, out of curiosity and a desire to learn more about what these people go through. Well, but you're um, talking about uh, the hallucination and, and the malevolency behind that. Whereas Adira, it, it's it's obvious that her her boyfriend is is not like that. So, and I totally get what you're saying. That yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. But I, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, but when it's safely established that the hallucination I'm I'm talking to the person I'm talking to because she said she said it's my boyfriend. Um, I, I think right right then and there and especially with how she says her character and demeanor you can pick mm -hmm. up right away that uh well obviously this is a, a very benevolent person so if if stamets is well trained enough in the psychology or schizophrenia to know the difference between okay don't acknowledge if this is a, is a malevolent hallucination but because yeah. that's not it it's okay i wouldn't necessarily would think that stamets is educated at a phd or starfleet medical academy level about sure, yeah. drill mm -hmm. additionally a human being a human trail mm -hmm. a human host i'm sorry so like i don't think he necessarily has the yeah ability to determine know. that but yeah and and so we do know, like we see at one point where Adira is in uh, engineering and uh, Gray is like kind of urging her to go and make some friends. So we know that there can exist conflict within the relationship of the Trill soul within mm -hmm. them. And also Adira doesn't really tell anyone about it except for Stamets. So we don't really know like how this is going to play out. Um, the whole uncertainty about the situation is, I guess, why it kind of like the flag went up. That okay. it's interesting that he and he chose to interact with someone he couldn't see that was basically existing in someone else's head. Okay. I'd be interested in knowing if our listeners or viewers have any, um, you know, training or thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I, for sure. I have a degree in behavioral science, and I'm I don't even want to touch this this concept because I don't know anything. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, well, I just way. thought it was like an interest. It just reminded me of that, those interviews I had seen because mm -hmm. I had never even thought that that would be an issue. And so it was kind of stuck in my head as like, yeah, I should definitely respect that they don't want to like talk and acknowledge their hallucinations in front of me. So I, I definitely agree that, that the writers hopefully will express some kind of um, uh, sympathy to uh, people yeah. who uh, do struggle with uh, schizophrenia or even, um, you know, DID, if that's relevant here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and I did love that Adira is like, hey, I'm getting all this knowledge from all these other Starfleet officers that I have in me now. So let me just apply that to you. <laughs> and so she's like, she's like drawn to him too. 
And I think it's, it's a really cool mentorship for sure. So then we cut over to SIGBAY. Um, <clears throat> where Burnham is really worried about Reese. They're back. She's back on the ship. She's back in uniform. Um, her and book talk. And he's like, well, time to face, you know, the music here for <laughs> oh, your yeah. choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, thank basically, thank you for saving my life. And, um, they're about to kiss Linus teleports in to interrupt that, but then they kiss anyway. So kind of a cute scene. I just the, 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 the Linus thing was one of one of my favorites in this episode. He just kept popping everywhere. People, you know, made stamps jump gag. one time. It was a great. It was a gag. It was a great gag. <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. you would have to think that if you have a personal transporter like that and you're and you're playing with it, that's that's exactly what would happen. You, you would be messing around with it, and you would just end up in like you know wherever and. I'm, I'm glad they did that. So it's, yeah, that was just real quick. It was written to be comic-y, but like imagine Linus popping in on this conversation with like uh, Hugh and um, and Sam. It's like that, mm-hmm. like they, they definitely used it in a way that was like, yep, this is the writers doing this. <laughs> um, One thing so, I want to point out in this scene, I said it in the last scene, the tricorders are branded with the Delta. In this scene, the pajamas are branded with a Delta. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm, I love Starfleet. I, I have my own, but can we please stop branding everything with a Delta? Disagree. <laughs> if it's standard issue, I want it branded. And these are standard issue because they always wear the same ones. Standard issue make- pajamas? Yeah, I'm going to make a Delta branding iron and I'm just going to go visit Renzo and be like, and it's going to be a home alone moment. You're going to have a Delta on your face. Do it on the forehead, (laughs) right on the forehead. I'm thinking of getting a tattoo. May as well be that. Get a Delta cut into your beard. Get some scarification. It's all good. (laughs) Or or shape your beard. Not all of us are George George. Shape your beard into a Delta. <clears throat> do that the harder you could Pull die it could die a certain part as a delta you could like oh. bleach the front oh yeah yeah only when you're ready to like shave yeah but I no so for the scene right i want i really liked the fact that hugh and paul have like their their relationship has recovered to the point where they're sharing yes. these sorts of things because mm-hmm. there were definitely some points in the last season where there were concerns about like they're going to try and make it work but will they or won't they? And now we're seeing that it's definitely starting to work for them. Mm. They've recovered. Um, it's also nice that uh, <laughs> they talk about Adira, about how like bonding with her over a similar form of loss is important for them. And I feel like Hugh's probably going to reach out to Adira about it too. Because, you know, Hugh does have medical training. Hugh does have psychological training. So he may be able to better understand what she is going through mm-hmm. uh, and maybe be able to help her better. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually really interested in that whole subplot. And For sure. And he's like kind of... About Trill. What, what? What, what was that? Oh, sorry. I said they're just getting to know about Trill physiology too. So this is a new... Oh, yeah, because they skipped over DS9. They skipped yes, all right. right. Yeah, we're, we're at a point where not nearly as much is known about the Trill <clears throat> because they were in oh then why the, does stamets say from what i know about trill like well they might have read something about it like during their briefings for the previous episode or two and three weeks <laughs> that's true <laughs> and i think right. like hugh is acting counselor at this point Prob- <clears throat> probably yeah so uh Should but he's doing a great job i know really okay so then we get to the last scene where it's back to the the star base with vance yeah so we think Saru's like 
gonna saru gets it so vans gives it to saru he gives it to burnham he's they're like both getting in trouble vance is pissed at saru because if you had told me about burnham's request i might have granted it worth the risk but you didn't tell me about that you instead just circumvented that um so and i were... think saru is, is 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 eager to be like the good goody two shoes and so he doesn't want to even suggest things because he doesn't want to come off like burnham there were there were a couple he's a yes man basically there, there were a couple people in the wrong and saru was not prepared for that possibility that you you made the as as admiral i'm admiral vance you made my decision for me that i wouldn't think that this intel or this mission would be valuable instead of coming to me with it to let me decide you decided for me because it yes. may very well have been a crucial thing so he kind of um, you know, to strip down Saru a little bit about, about that. Now Saru's going to think, okay, you know, he just, so he just took a lashing and, uh, of course with Burnham, she knew it was coming. Uh, and that because mm -hmm. lives were saved, that there's a reason why she's not being thrown in the brig. And I, I think that in my opinion, on a, on a ship, and I may change my mind about this later, but I think that you do need to have someone like this. You need to have a Michael Burnham because, or, or a Jim Kirk, there's going to be that time where you have to take the rules and stretch them, or you have to accomplish a thing and the parameters of rules and regulations wouldn't allow you to do it, but it has to be done anyway. Uh, because if you have an entire ship full of people that would never break orders, I know they say that that's what you want. That's how it's supposed to be. But if Michael had followed orders, what would have, what would have happened? You know, what, what, what would have happened here? And she's right they're not going to be able to rebuild the, the Federation. If I don't know what the cause of the burn was, I'm not going to put myself in a position where it can happen again. Not until I know what did it. And she's right. There's not going to be a reforming of the Federation when there's just this, um, this unknown and this mis uh, mistrust of just not knowing what would happen. But, but anyway, yes, I, I think that it is, beneficial that you do have someone that's going to stick their neck out um, reminds me of the TNG episode where uh, Dr. Crusher had to perform an autopsy on that, that Ferengi uh, dude that, that got killed um, and autopsies were like completely expressly for, forbidden mm -hmm. by the, by the Ferengis um, and she did it anyway even though no, she could, Rega? Yeah. Uh, lose. Yeah. Right. 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 Lose her career and, and everything. So when she came into, to see Picard, um, and, and said, I basically violated every order I was given and did the autopsy. So he asked her, what did you find? And I think it was like that moment that was, we may be able to salvage this. If you found something that was, completely 
proved this or exonerated this that would not ever have happened without doing that. Now, granted, right at the time, it would not, you know, she found nothing. But as we know, she eventually was all made right. So I, th I think that once you've gone this route, once you've disobeyed that order, then you better hope to God that you come out with either having saved lives or did something very significant, because if not, then that's even worse, in, in my opinion. I'm going to have an unpopular opinion on this one, but I think that uh, I think Burnham actually won over Vance on this one. I think that she's actually impressing him. I don't think he's going to express that or show that, but I think he's actually impressed by what she's achieving because mm -hmm. he left it in Saru's like Saru's care how to deal with her. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't think he trusts Saru yet. I think he's built more of a trust towards Burnham than he has towards Saru because Saru lied to him. Saru didn't tell him that this was all going on. Right. And well, it wasn't a lie. It, it was a lie by omission. Well, but, he but, told mm. him that he went up to him and was like, Hey, my oh, yeah, he told officer him. did this. But didn't tell him that the request had been made. Right. Like he pointed out, like, if you told me about this, I would have probably said yes, or I might've said yes. I yeah, he didn't, uh, yeah. on this one. he didn't report the request. He re he reported suddenly that, my first officer has, has left uh, against orders. And so then later it's when Vance says, okay, well, Saru first, you were wrong because you made the decision about that for me instead of bringing it to me. So, so right, yeah, there was. So, so the only thing I'm trying to get to though is I think though that one, yeah, dropping, dropping Burnham from being XO is a good call, A, but B, like, I think that Burnham is going to be earning the trust of the Admiralty, like, by doing things like this, because, you know, it's things that they would want done even if they can't order it themselves, right? And I also quite like the fact that um, Burnham was able to succeed in what she, what she went off to do, right? Like, you yeah. know how we have Mariner in Lower Decks who does these things that are against orders, but she does them. She gets them done in, in their things that need to be done. Mm -hmm. In a similar way, Burnham is achieving things here that need to be done. Um, so as long as she keeps succeeding, they'll probably keep letting her get away with it uh, until she doesn't. It, Which it, is what we've seen with Star Trek in the past, right? Like, Worf broke orders a couple times. He got reprimanded once or twice for it, but he broke things. We see Paris break orders and get demoted, but he still did it. He still does it again after that, right? Like, characters do these things for the right reasons, Um so most of the Picard broke orders, not yeah. often, but everybody breaks orders From so far, except, except Saru. And I think Saru is just very inexperienced as a captain, right? Like that's the limitation here. Well, you've got to, you've got to know when to break orders and be so right that you're going to have a positive outcome because once you've broken that order, unless you deliver results, then your ass is grass. So you, you need to have reached that point where you know that um, the only way this result is going to happen is to break that order. And you're right. Someone is going to look at it as, yes, this is what needed to be done. I can't, we can't order it to be done. In fact, we have to order it to not be done, but we know this needs to be done. And someone has to do it uh, that we can have um, that we can disavow if it goes south. It, it's kind of like uh, with in, in Mission Impossible. If, if you're if you're captured, we don't know who you are and nothing about you. Peace out. Say, same here. It, it's 
if you, if you get caught, if you screw up, then we, we never heard of you, never heard of you, never saw you. It's, you know, the plausible deniability, uh, if, if things go wrong. And I, I really think, especially given the circumstances that they're all in now that I, I, I think Vance is benefiting from and knows he will benefit from someone like this that came yeah. from the cowboy era of Starfleet because yeah. we're talking about the uh, uh, basically the, the whole 23rd century was was the cowboy era of, of Starfleet things didn't settle down until we got into the, into the 24th and so he's going to be seeing that okay there's something to to get here by someone who doesn't just follow strict bureaucracy that, yeah. that's, so that's my opinion there was a that, something i didn't notice in the episode until well well literally like 10 minutes ago they actually have a map of relative space or near space on one of the walls there mm -hmm. and uh it's actually a neat thing to include in the background just because maps are something that you'd expect are gonna happen to be seen at starfleet command so they actually included that and have updates to it and have changes to it that make sense for you know a post burn kind of situation yeah, I think Saru is like, he's trying to, um, he's not really like a control kind of guy. When I say control, I don't mean like scary AI. I mean, like, he's not one, he's a servant captain. He's not a, like, uh, I'm going to order you captain. He's like, he tried to convince like Burnham, like, Hey, it's not a good idea. We need to be on call. And she was like, okay, sure. And then she went and did her own thing. Um, you know, he didn't get like irate with her or anything, any kind of authoritative thing like mm -hmm. that when she got back. But I think he knows that she slips through his grasp and that's kind of going to be how it is. And she's unapologetic about everything that she did. Um, you know, and she, I mean, she says she's sorry, but she's sorry for the circumstances. Like I felt like I needed to do this. You felt like you needed to do this. And this is just how it is. We're, we're, we are these two people. We have different alignment and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I like that burn. I, I, I could see Burnham going more into like the intelligence aspect of the new Starfleet. I, I, I can too. And I really think at some point here, and it's going to come with experience, I believe, <clears throat> that Saru is going to have to lighten up. And that's, that's just all there is to it. He's, he's going to have to stop being a, a tight ass and lighten up because he's there, there is a possibility that the way he does things, he's going to get people killed. If you're, if you're following the book by the book, uh, basically to me, if Boimler from Lower Decks were to be a captain, this is exactly who Captain Boimler would be. Savick from Wrath of Khan. Yes, yes. By the yes. book, Admiral. Yes, Savick from, from Wrath of Khan. And you know, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, Saru has gone through two years of an arc where he you know, he was betrayed by Michael and then spent another season learning kind of how to retrust Michael. And in that, in that time also, he is embracing 23rd century Federation, essentially doctrine. Um, as somebody who escaped us a, a planet where he was a predator or where he was prey, 
um, he's really embraced Federation and Starfleet specifically ideals. And so just when he gets the opportunity to rise to the challenge of being a captain with those ideals, he gets thrust into a new, a new era of Wild West uh, Federation where none, nothing is what he recognizes. And he's still in that 23rd century ideal kind of mindset. And he's going to have to learn what this 32nd century is all about. And don't forget, he went through Vaharai during this whole thing too, right? Which totally changes how his hormones motivate his personality. He goes from being like a prey species to now being kind of a bit more threatening with the spiky things. Face so missiles. like, yeah, Face so missiles. He's, <laughs> he's gone through a lot of challenges, a lot of changes, and like he's got to learn how to deal with things again. Uh, right. And you know what I just thought of that do we even do we even know or is it safe to assume that he probably did not go through the command training course at the academy. Uh, I, I mean, that's because you you have you have he officers was XO. That go he was through. XO on Discovery. If you're XO, you have to have had it. You think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he absolutely. Remember, remember, they had the bridge officers qualification test. That's what they were all talking about. Like, and then we see that the Android couldn't serve as like the person in charge of the bridge until after she had passed that right well we saw exo saru in charge of the discovery bridge all the time so i'm sure he did and that's assuming and that the rules are kind of similar was the remember that it's a period of months between the first and second episodes of discovery where she does the 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 mutiny and and the battle of the binary stars happens and then she gets tried for mutiny so she's going to be in the brig for a while the trial's going to take a while and during all of that time there's crew reassignments and Detmer's getting her new headpiece. Saru was taking command training to gear up for his exo slot on discovery. So all of that's mm -hmm. happening between like, I guess it's the second and third episode of discovery. Mm -hmm. um, so do you think you took the, that. Do, do you think you took the Kobayashi Maru? I'm sure he did that in the Academy. had a Kobayashi Maru at the time. Um, yeah, an, I, I don't think it was... Um, no, because Jim Kirk's out of the Academy at this point, right? And we know that Jim Kirk did it in the Academy. Right, but Jim Kirk's a cadet here, and Saru's a commander. Sure, sure, sure. Mm, I don't know. I feel, like they, they, I feel like Jim Kirk wouldn't have been like the first one to take the Kobayashi Could it Maru. have been new? I mean, could it have been new, like his senior year-ish? Well, Maybe. if we take... If we take uh, if we take the Kelvin verse as sort of a mirror for this, Spock is the one who helped program the the Kobayashi Maru in the twenty two fifties. Yes, and Saru would have been out of the academy at least in the late twenty two forties in order to be a commander. Now, yes, okay, right, right. So basically, the chances of there even being such a thing as as the Kobayashi Maru maybe not, or if it it would have been new newer-ish at the time. And I'm sure at Starfleet Academy, uh, there's like, okay, we have this thing, we have this scenario, we're going to test it on our students. We're not gonna immediately start calling in uh, XOs and captains that are out on missions to take this. Uh, so, so yeah, the odds of him having done that are, are slim. He, let's just That's assume fair. that he did not. So I don't see not... any reason to assume that the Kobayashi Maru was new either. That seems like something that they would have been training for decades at that point. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't sign up to that. Like, let's assume it's new thing. I think that they all would have taken it. Like learning to lose is something important that a lot of training things teach you even now. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I, I get you. And, and, and you're right. There is no canon to establish when it was created, nor any that can refute us saying that we could put it in the 2250s and you're, you're not proven right, nor are you contradicted, unfortunately. So it's like, so far we can kind of, you know, say whenever we want that it was done. But the, the point I'm making is to me, he doesn't come off as someone who went through that. He doesn't come off to me as <clears throat> someone that went through the, the command training because when he took over as um, took command of discovery after, after Lorca's disappearance, you remember when Saru went into the, uh, the ready room and was looking up all the past captains and getting all the info. I, I think that it was a, Oh shit, I'm going to be a, a captain now. And I have to learn how to do that. Uh, so, yep. 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 That was, that was me. That was kind of my, my final thinking on that. Yeah. I think it's interesting to, and every captain's going to be different. So, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of it. So Saru is like just adjusting. Everyone's still adjusting. I think he gets caught up in policy a lot. Yep. So yep. once he learns to be less of a yes man, then I think we'll start to see some, maybe a little more alignment with Burnham. Mm-hmm. It's still, it's, it's the wild west all over again is what it is. It is. So, um, so yeah, the, the final scene is, uh, Saru walking away from Burnham and he personal truck, personal transports out of there. Um, he demotes her back to just chief science officer. And honestly, like I got a lot of relief in this scene. Personally, I felt like it was for the best. And I think it's okay to like not be aligned, but I think she still has everyone's best interest at heart. So we'll have to see what happens um, next episode. So real quick, um, before you tell everyone where they can find us, et cetera, et cetera. uh, I want to get your guys' opinions on this image right here. Now, the the new com badges they they also light up according accordingly to your to your rank. Um, so the, the the rank pips are not now handled on your com badge and uh, and they they light up. Okay, so want to get your guys' opinions on her having taken off her com badge here. What does that mean? Her her she's not a commander anymore. Usually, but but you don't have to the. The combat just lights up based on on your rank, and I don't think he demoted her from being commander. She's still commander, but she's, she's not a commander. Be the I think it was a moment of reflection, like holding yeah. it in her hand, like what does this really mean to me? What are my values? I didn't think it was her like demoting. Herself. I like that a lot better. I like yeah. it so much better because in in the past, that's always been a sign of handing in your badge and your gun or like before you're going to do something you're not supposed to do you take off your com badge and put it on the table i think it's the equivalent of like just getting like i think it's the equivalent of sipping on wine to get the taste and then spitting it out yeah i love that idea watney that's a great idea okay yeah it's it's just she's just reflecting (laughs) on what it means i agree that's great yeah this wasn't her signifying that, okay, I'm about to do some more shit I'm not supposed to do. Okay. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's she's her, gonna, I think, but... <laughs> I think it's her, like, finally coming to the terms with the fact that she's grieving maybe the loss of a previous life okay. where she wouldn't have done that, you know? Which, 
may flow directly into the next episode, which is called Unification 3. And I'm not going to spoil anything in the trailers, but if you've you've followed TNG at all, you had Unification 1 and 2, which is all about Spock, who's critical to Burnham's backstory, trying to bring together the Romulans and the Vulcans, which was critical to Spock's current and future story. It's what led to him sacrificing himself uh, to try and save Romulus during the Nova. And I think in the next episode, Burnham may get some cathartic closure when we meet the people who are featured in the next episode. Okay. Yeah, we will certainly see. And if you have watched the preview, uh, hit us up on Twitter and I'll, let me just tell you where you can find us before I get into all that. So if you want to support us online, patreon.com slash beyond trek is where you can do that we would love and appreciate any support there we have some pretty fun tiers so check us out uh you can talk to us at twitter.com slash beyond trek pod uh dag kind of runs that account and then we have an instagram um at beyond trek podcast uh we also have facebook facebook.com slash beyond trek productions and i want to give a super special thank out as always to stephanie baker and jim cook who are patreon and anchor donators thank you so much and also john from cygnus-x1.net who provides the stills that we use in our youtube for this video thank you everyone thank you stephanie and jim and john for the the stuff that you're doing for us it's it's great really appreciate it and thank yeah. you everyone that's listened to us and, and watched us. Yeah. Thanks for going boldly with Beyond Trek. We'll see you next time. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.